0: Let's pray. Father, I'm very grateful for this fellowship and for this body. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come together and and corporately worship you. Father, I ask that for the next few minutes that we would wholly and solely devote our thoughts and our time to you. That, Father, we would not be distracted by other concerns other events, other things, maybe our day. Father, I thank you for the families here tonight. And Father, I just pray that uh, you would help me to expose your word and your truth in a way that is God-honoring. Thank you, Father, for loving us through your Son, Jesus Christ. These things we ask and pray in his name. Amen. The word Ruth comes from a Moabite... In Hebrew word, meaning friendship. And as we've been studying the book of Judges, Ruth offers us a complementary contrast to the book of Judges. I think Scott had made the point last week that, that we really did need a Savior and that God was going to provide a perfect Savior. And so we have a change of tune in the text, if you will, where we move into the, into the book of Ruth. And one of the things that the book of Ruth shows us is that despite a prevailing apostasy of the nation, there were individuals in the land there in in Bethlehem where they had high convictions and lived godly lives, yet the people still needed a Savior. And Ruth introduces us to a plan of God's redemption through affection, kindness, and generosity. God goes on to demonstrate to us as his children that ultimately he does provide a savior. He spends all of his hesed on us as his children in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that word hesed here in just a moment. Depending on which Hebrew scholar you ascribe to in our fellowship, I've heard hesed and hesed and hest. So that's something that we can work through The story of Ruth occurs in the days when the judges ruled. And this really bridges the gap between the judges to a monarchy in Israel. And God uses the famine in the land of Judah to set in motion the events of history that are about to take place. Really, I think to understand the book of Ruth, you have to have some understanding of the ancient context. And land and lineage was everything. If you had no land and you had no lineage... You had nothing. Without land and lineage, all was lost. There was no hope. There was no future. And I love the lyrics in Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical where it says, We belong to the land, and the land that we belong to is grand. And this really defines the family and the culture of the time in in which Ruth was written As we study Ruth, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Are these series of events coincidental or are they providential? Meaning were they accidental or were they fortuitous or born out of a divine oversight and intervention? Turn to Ruth chapter 1 and we'll begin in chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. And it says, in the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem, in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and two sons. The names of the, the name of the man was Emelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Emelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives and the name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. From Naomi's perspective, she was ruined. She was embittered by the circumstances of widowhood, poverty. And mountains of uncertainty. She had often been dismissed, or at least I had dismissed her in my childhood studies as a complaining old woman that was self-absorbent, that was that was just a malcontent. In, re, in reality, she really should be compared to someone like Job. The extent of her losses were staggering. It was an agonizing bewilderment to live in this society and have no land and no lineage, to have no hope. Naomi has left a poor and old widow with two daughter-in-laws who, if they come back to Israel, because Moab and Israel were the bitterest of enemies, would be putting their very lives in danger. Naomi is utterly without hope. So what's the problem? How will she survive? How will she survive economically? In the ancient culture, you really had just four possibilities. She could work in the fields, but she was too old. She could get married, but she was too old to do that. Why? This was a society where family meant everything. You did not marry for companionship or marital relations You married because the person that you were going to marry was to produce a family. Society was looking for heirs. They were looking for cheap labor. They were looking for a name. Number three, her children children could support her, but she had no children. They were all dead. And her daughter-in-laws really couldn't come. They were Moabites. They are outcasts. They were outsiders. And last, she could rent her land, but she had to sell her land. She had no land. She had no name. She had nothing. Not only was Naomi economically without hope, she was emotionally and spiritually without hope. Naomi was bereft of everything in her life that gave her life meaning in every life we have certain times that define us as I look around the room I can see faces that I know the stories no one chooses to lose a spouse no one chooses to lose a job or live with the consequences of a life threatening disease and one of the things that hit me so very hard as I studied through the book of Ruth was that on every page of the Bible, there's a recognition that faith encounters trouble, and we're not exempted from the difficulties. Can you think of any situation in your life that has embittered you deeply, and your walk was affected? That's a real question, by the way. That's when, that's when Scott, you know, kind of looks around and, and you know, kind of does that and y'all start talking. That's what that is. That's a real question. That wasn't a rhetorical question. Can you think of a situation in your life that has embittered you deeply and your walk has been affected? I'm seeing a lot of... I mean, this is interesting. So, I mean, I'm up here. This is almost an experiment. I'm sitting here watching you guys, and and about half the room is nodding your head. And apparently, it is so embittered and so deep <laughs> that nobody wants to share. It has an effect on you, doesn't it? And it hurts. And it def- And it's hard to look at those corners... So how did God see you through that situation? This too is a real question. Right, and and, right, okay, what else? Mhm. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was thinking about that we enjoy here that that we talk about how did God see you through that situation and my answer was friendship. In other words, we We walk in community together. We walk with each other. That word that we talked about just a minute ago, where we were talking about the word Hesed, H E S E D, Hesed. God's Hesed is defined in the context, like you were talking about, Bill, of our study as the consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constant, pursuing, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God our Father. it's his provision for his children whether we see it understand it comprehend it or expect it it's there and sooner or later we will face the question about ourselves or our circumstances the question is is the hesed of god absent from naomi is the hesed of god absent from naomi in her despair and her heartbreak and does the hesed of god apply to the lives Of us today as we, excuse me, in the challenges that we face. Certainly it does. Certainly God's chesed is there. Look at Ruth chapter 1, look at verses 8 through 9. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, and the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they left. Excuse me. And and she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. You know, in this particular case, Naomi is here to remind us that in the dark night of the soul, in those moments when we realize that it feels like we're all alone, and that God is not answering our prayers. That our struggles are real and that we can be honest and sincere with our God and, quite frankly, with each other. Naomi had lost her props. She was exposed, the very thing that we are often in fear of, hiding behind our marriages, our families, our wealth, our status, our title. We're often exposed and we're found naked. Shivering in the cold with nothing left, and this is where I want you to be really honest with yourself. How do you handle it when life goes bitter? Does the does the does prosperity does our culture dull our senses to God's? I mean, to God's hessed. Seriously, think about that for a moment. How do you handle life when life goes bitter? I know what my reaction is. It's anxiety. I mean, I go to eating all the chocolate <laughs> in the house. As soon you bring it in those big bars, you know. I mean, we're not eating kisses. I mean, we're eating the whole bar. Oh, dipping for strawberries, okay. So another... Like, I'm sorry. I had a relationship in college that was extremely, wounded. and I found myself even years later. I would be yelling at this person in my car by myself. Like, I feel like, she's, like she's there, and I'm just yelling at her. That's how I dealt with it. And I got to it. I realized that it was consuming Mhm. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Every I just give it to Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Brian, what are you expecting as a Christian that you're not getting? When you became a Christian, did you think or assume that life was going to be better? Let me give you the illustration. Most immigrants leave one country and they go to another expecting a better life. So as a Christian, when you became a Christian, did you expect a better life? right what right. the primary thing is Well, Chuck, I'm so thankful for your answer because it leads right into my next question. If God and Christ are central, based on where we are in the text here, if God and Christ are central, what else is defining your expectations as a Christian? Chuck said my flesh. Okay. Surroundings, culture. So, in other words... Um, if God doesn't define us, culture does. Living by sight. Living by sight. Okay. What else? I think have a choice to follow. Do you want to the Lord? Follow my flesh. My flesh is drawn. And that's something you process. God, you. I know I'm drawn to those chocolate bars in that in that kitchen in that house. I know exactly what you're talking about. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me... And more, also anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi tries to send Ruth back. And what I want you to see in this particular part is I want you to see the absolutely life-changing power of friendship. Naomi is placing Ruth and Orpah's needs above her own. Excuse me, above her own. And Ruth says, no, I want your God. Ruth uses the phrase, may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's really a very sobering statement, understanding the context of the culture that they were living in at that time. I wasn't going to say this, and I ran it by Scott, and he gave me permission as an illustration. But Ruth was about as welcome in Bethlehem as a ham sandwich at a Jewish bar mitzvah. That's the context of the the circumstances that this Moabitess was leaving and going to another country with her mother-in-law to start a new life in a new land. And because Moab and Judah were at war and were bitterest of enemies... That's about the set of circumstances that we walk into. And what happens here is when Naomi sacrificially loves Ruth, in other words, she's trying to send her away, Naomi is putting Ruth and Orpah's needs above her own. She is sacrificially loving them. And when Ruth recognizes the non-exclusive love of a very exclusive God, She says, "I want your God." What this is is covenant language that is akin to a, ba- which is akin to a baptismal vow. At no point, if Ruth had been a believer before that point on the Moabite highway, would Naomi have been trying to send her back to Moab. Ruth moves in a sacrificial courage to follow Naomi and their God. So what just happened? What just happened in that verse? Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Is she expecting a better life? No. No. It doesn't, does it? She's desperate for the right life. life. So in Moab, she goes back to her father. She goes back to her status. She probably has a place with her family, with her brother-in-laws. She's on a Moabite highway headed to Judah, about as welcome there in Judah as a ham sandwich at a Jewish bar mitzvah, and she chooses to go with who? she chooses to go with Naomi she chooses to go with her god her decision was clear but hard so what converts what converts Ruth I love the language, and I'm not a touchy-feely language guy, but I looked at a couple of different versions on this verse. In the King James Version, it says, Entreat me not to leave thee, which is to ask or plead or a prayer. So back up. We still haven't made the point. What converts Ruth? Ruth. That's right. But let me help you. It's a friendship. It's a friendship. Ruth goes out of obedient love to Yahweh and to Naomi. And here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. If you love people despite what they believe, what you believe will begin to look very credible. Unconditional love in a powerful friendship changes lives. It's the infantry that builds the Christian community. How do you build a friendship? It's right there in the text. Time and constancy. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do do so to me, and, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. It's being together. It's being right there in the circumstances. It's walking through life together. Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, gives an example of what it means to walk in community, being a friend, being a, being a companion, being there in the difficult moments through thick and thin. Time plus commitment equals friendship. Listen, if you come here and you don't bring a friend You may be convicted by the preaching. You may worship in song, but your life really isn't going to change. If you don't have a friend to work in the gospel, you're really never going to learn. It's about people. It's about working it in. We only have the opportunity in life to have a half a dozen Maybe a dozen friends. It's through friendships we see the transforming power of the gospel. It's friendships. That's the place where we work out the gospel. It's the only way to change the world. This church would be nothing without friendships. Think about that for just a second. so we've got Ruth converted and we're coming up the Moabite highway and so probably they're coming through the wheat fields headed into Bethlehem and of course Naomi's been gone for a long time and she is unrecognizable to her friends that maybe she met on the outskirts of town The thing that I want you to see here at the end of these verses here, at the end of verses 18, it says, um, and when Naomi saw her, excuse me, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So they show up together in Bethlehem. Write this down, there are signs of hope. In the life of every, in the life of every believer, Naomi shows up. She's frustrated. She's mad. She doesn't understand her circumstances. She's been walking in bitterness. She ignores the providential hesed of Ruth's conversion. She does have hope. She has Ruth. So why do you think Naomi was so bitter? that's a really good answer what else what about why do you think Naomi is so bitter she had an agenda don't we all have plans don't we all have ideas don't we have dreams don't we have ideas the way marriage should be Don't we have ideas the way business should be, or how our children should turn out, or our families, or our moms and dads? Don't we have preconceived notions about what those things look like? We have an agenda. Naomi makes a play on her name of meaning sweet or pleasant and asks to be called Mara, which means bitter. She sits and complains in her selfish ill contentment as Ruth, the treasure of God, excuse me, that the treasure that God has placed in her life sits right next to her. And some of us are sitting in this same place of selfish ill contentment. You have an agenda and things aren't going your way. What this book is teaching is that God works in the hard and the mundane and God has not abandoned you And practically all of us, in the community of Christ, in the church, in our friendships, we all need a Ruth. You find that in the context of the Christian community in membership. I love what Ben said Sunday. He said, you will never live a life of hope on the edges, otherwise you miss the manna. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. the gospel. Right. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. He's, he's writing this book, and it's a story about a believer and a non-believer, and two men, and the believer dies, and he really never knows how he affected this other people. hmm So in reality, is Naomi, is Naomi, is Naomi bereft of the hessed of God? No, she's not. So how does our agenda, how does our life, our agenda, our ideas, our dreams, how does that get in the way of God's hessed in our life? say it louder chuck mm-hmm. There's no social programs there's no fish ministries Exactly right. And to give Nami a little break, she, even though there was that bitterness, she was praying in that bitterness all the way back. The Lord's name is in her language. Like, and mm-hmm. so she even modeled walking in that spirit that crying out to God time. Right. In an on, in in an honest fashion. She's still crying out to the Lord. She just might to try to where she's at where she's eating. Okay. All right. Scott said we'd be running close on time, and he's exactly right, so we'll keep moving. Look at, look at Ruth chapter 2. Look at verses uh, 1 through 3. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Imelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. So back to the concept that we're talking about of Hesed. So she happened on the part of a field belonging to Boaz. Y'all can laugh if you want. So, so she happened on a field. You know, here in this particular example, squarely, the Hesed of God is in action. Is it coincidental or is it providential? Looking back, you can see how it was providential that Ruth picked the right field to glean from for two reasons. One, she found favor in the eyes of Boaz, a guy she didn't know. And two, Boaz was from the clan of her deceased father-in-law, thus setting the scene, as Chuck said just a minute ago, for the for the preservation of the name and the family and redeeming Ruth and Naomi. So can you look back at your own life and see where God was directing you and you didn't realize it? Sure you can. All of us can. Upon the return to Bethlehem, Ruth, the barren, childless, cultural outcast, so happens to find herself in a field of Boaz. And yet she's still dealing with Naomi, dealing with hunger and poverty, the responsibility of an elderly, an elderly mother-in-law because we don't have a social program, we don't have social security, forces her to have to go to the workplace. And if Naomi and Ruth were going to eat, then Ruth had to work. And of course, In the circumstances that we outlined in the beginning of the teaching, Naomi can't work. Her age and her bitterness have consumed her, and 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 Ruth initiates a plan and decides to go to the field to clean. uh, to To clean, to glean. Now, this is really almost a whole other teaching, but I I really enjoyed this part. You know, the in in Leviticus chapter 23. The Mosaic law displayed a particular compassion to the poor and the orphan and the widow. In other words, the the landowners were not allowed to maximize profits. They had to leave the corners. They had to leave a few square bales of hay out on the edges for the folks going by that needed something for the animal rescue to pick up. And so she goes to the field to glean. And of course, we know Boaz as the master of the field, a landowner, the location of where much of the story of Ruth takes place. And Boaz is a character that is in stark contrast to the impoverishment of Naomi and Ruth. This is something I stumbled on really at the end of this study and to illustrate the importance of the lineage in the text and God's Hesed and how providential sovereignty works. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Ben was talking about the homiletical midrash in the sermon? Well, I was sitting right over there and I about fell out because I thought, here goes my thunder when he said midrash, and I thought, well, I'm in trouble already. So I'm studying through some of this and I come across rabbinical midrash. And in trying to figure out who Boaz really is, according to the rabbinical Bidrash, Nashon was the ancestor of Boaz. Nashon was the brother-in-law of Aaron and was appointed by Moses upon God's command as the tribe of Judah. He's listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew one four and in Luke three thirty-two. And Nashon functionally was a commanding general in the Israelite army. And when the Israelites stood at the banks of the Red Sea and were wailing and complaining and wondering what they were going to do, and Moses lifted up his arms and he began to pray, Nashon walked into the sea and was up to his nose as the waters parted. Despite his tribe being fourth in the order of the patriarch, he was honored first to be to, to bring a, dedicate, a dedicatory offering, as prescribed by Moses, to the tabernacle. Nasiun means to initiate, and watch how Boaz, the descendant of Noshon, initiates in his field. Look in Ruth chapter two, verses four through five. And behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, "The Lord be with you." And they answered, "The Lord bless you." And then Boaz said to his young Excuse me. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, "Whose young woman is this?" Now Boaz is simply trying to establish the connection of the woman, this gleaner, this lower than a field hand, this socially outcast. What was she doing in his field? Because after all, Boaz was in a completely different league altogether. Look at verse seven. She said, "Please let me glean and gather among the the sheaves after the reapers, so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She challenges the status quo she initiates. And then Boaz said in verse eight Now, listen, my daughter, and do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Now, why does Boaz offer her protection? (laughs) Chuck said he's a man of God. She was a Moabitess, she was in a field with a bunch of guys, with a bunch of dudes. Exactly. She's hanging out with a bunch of dudes in the field and she's a Moabite. She's from a foreign country. Now, what I want you to see in this particular place here in verse 7 and 8 is Ruth shatters the paradigm of a timid faith by moving in in a selfless, actionable steps to take the ground and the provision that God has provided. She was an outsider and a newcomer. And she breaks the cultural barrier by asking the master of, of the field for provision, and the Hesed of God met her at her point of need. This really captures the meaning of Hesed, where two parties are involved, where one party has a desperate need and has the ability to meet the need of another, and the other party has absolutely nothing to offer. Hesed is an action step by our Heavenly Father with an action step for the believer. It's the product of a relationship, a product of a friendship. It's also an initiation of kindness and blessing towards one another when the people of God actively engage in the Spirit in a fallen world. Boaz was a man of God. The cool thing about Boaz that I enjoyed was is he understood and knew what the letter of the law meant. In other words, he said, let them glean. But he also knew what the spirit of the law was and he said, feed them. He didn't let his head confuse his heart. Look at verses uh, 11 and 12 right quick and we're just about done. But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. Verse 12, And the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz, so to speak, sets the table. He's setting the table for redemption through a friendship and through a relationship there are two things that I want you to remember that impress him about Ruth first Ruth had had a sacrificial kindness or hesed to her mother-in-law she had sacrificially moved to leave her own land and follow Naomi's God and to protect and to love her mother-in-law. And, so, and secondly, she had, I think someone said it a few minutes ago, she had an extraordinary courage to come back. Look at verses 17 and 18. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephaph ef- or epaph or whatever that is, of barley. And she took... And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had, had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So Naomi is amazed. She's shocked. Where did you get all of this food? What happened today? What happened in that field? Who showed up in that field? That's right. Naomi realizes that through the action of Boaz, that God is still doing Hesed for her. And Boaz uses his social power and his wealth in a gracious way. Verse 20 And Naomi said to her daughter, May he be blessed. By the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is seeing that God's Hesed does not expire, it's still at work for her, for her husband, and for her sons. Naomi is not alone, and neither are we. The Hesed of God covers us even unto death, His Hesed is unending. You are a sweet people to teach. Thankful for the impact of the relationships in my life and in Cindy's. Of where you have ministered to us and you have loved us. The way Ruth loves Naomi we are thankful and very blessed let's pray father we are touched and impacted by your word we are thankful father for your provision for your son jesus christ father i thank you for the friendships the relationships that allow us father to work it in to understand how the cross the sacrifice changes lives for the opportunity father to have friendships and to love each other the way that you've loved us in a sacrificial way. Thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for this fellowship. These things we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.